Luke chapter 6, verses 36 to 42. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, Let me take out the speck that is in your eye. When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. All right, well, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke and we're currently in Luke's version of of the Sermon on the Mount. And I reckon we've probably already realised over the last couple of weeks that that these words of Jesus are some of the most confronting and the most challenging words that we're ever going to hear. Last week, we were given a picture of the extraordinary love of God, the love and the mercy that we've received, even though we didn't deserve it. And that was wonderful to hear. But of course, the teaching that Jesus was giving that goes along with that is that, well... Because we've received this extraordinary love of God then, and, and this mercy of God, then disciples of Jesus are to love others and to be merciful to others in exactly the same way, even though they don't deserve it. And so Jesus said some pretty outlandish things like, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, turn the other cheek. If someone takes your coat, Let him have your shirt as well. Give, expecting nothing in return. And we finished off last week with verse 36, which which not only summed up last week, but it also sets the tone for today's reading. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Righto. So in today's Bible reading, there's several commands, there's a couple of parables and a metaphor. And... With them all flowing one into the other, they take us on a journey to personal godliness, personal Christ-likeness. See, we've got to remember, this is a sermon that that we're reading at the moment, and it's a very well-constructed sermon, and that's what a sermon does. It takes us on a journey. A sermon uses commandments, it uses stories, and it uses metaphors to shift us from having a human mindset to seeing the things of God. So let's begin with the commands. And these commands are fully in keeping with the tone set by verse 36. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. So the commands. Judge not, and you'll not be judged. Condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, 
and it will be given to you. Right? This is all about being merciful as our Heavenly Father is merciful. Mercy begins by not criticising and by not condemning one's neighbours. Now, at this point, we're talking about how we relate to unbelievers, how we relate to people of the world. Now, that's going to change somewhat when we get down to the parable, because when we get to the parable, Jesus is talking about how we relate to our brother, our brother or our sister in Christ is what he's referring to, which is a little bit different. But for now, we're talking about how we as Christians relate to non-Christians. And it is not the role of Christians to judge those who are not Christians. Yes, their day of judgment is going to come. And at that point, Jesus himself is going to judge them. And so we don't have to worry about this. Our role is to not judge outsiders. Now, I quite like listening to Christian radio. Um, there's some pretty good segments and some pretty good teaching on it. But there's also some, some segments and, and some commentators who seem to have a co their constant commentary comes across to me as being condemnational judgment upon unbelievers and condemnational judgment upon our unbelieving society. And I suspect that they're probably pretty popular segments because what they do is they tap into a self-righteous judgmental spirit that sometimes seems to be hanging around the church. And sadly, some Christians get their satisfaction by condemning the sinful. Our satisfaction should be found in Christ and in the forgiveness that he has given us. We shouldn't be finding our satisfaction in condemning others. But, but having a self-righteous judgmental spirit towards the unsaved is not Christian because it's not Christ-like. A self-righteous judgmental spirit is what the scribes and the Pharisees were well known for. What was Jesus known for? Mercy, love. And so we are not to judge, we are not to condemn. In fact, Christians who are vocal in their condemnation of others will very quickly be condemned themselves. And you've seen this happen. You've seen those who are the loudest in their condemnation and criticism of others. How do others respond to them? Right back at you, right? If you start nitpicking at other people, others will come back at you. But not only that, we're also inviting the condemnation of God upon ourselves. That's what Jesus is telling us. Judge not and you'll not be judged. Condemn not and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Now, does that offend your theology? You see, as good, evangel good evangelical Protestants, we've had it hammered into us what we believe. Saved by grace, saved by faith, not saved by works. This is true, isn't it? We are saved by grace. We are saved by faith, not saved by works. Saved by grace, saved by faith, not by, not by works. But the danger is that, that we can have this theology so firmly in our minds that when we get to a passage like this one, we say, oh, we might just skip over it because, well, that, I know I don't have to worry about that. And so we might just write off words like these without taking a lot of notice of them. But these are the words of Jesus. 
and we ignore them at our peril, as with any word of God in the scriptures. You see, disciples of Jesus have been forgiven and disciples of Jesus have been filled with the spirit of God. Therefore, if we are filled with the spirit of God, what sort of spirit do we have? Do we have a, a forgiving spirit or a condemning spirit? We have a forgiving spirit. And when people are, are, are open to forgive others, we ourselves will be forgiven. And because we have been given so much by our Heavenly Father, we ourselves have a generous spirit. Right? If I am filled with the Holy Spirit, is that spirit a selfish spirit that holds on to things for myself? Or is the Holy Spirit a giving spirit? And so we ourselves will have a generous spirit and we will give. And we're going to talk about this more next week, uh, about the evidence of being a Christian. Because Jesus is going to go on to say, each tree is known by its own fruit. Am I a Christian? Well, where's the fruit of that? Being merciful, like our Heavenly Father is merciful. And when we do give, our generosity is rewarded with God's generosity. And let me tell you a, a very sure and certain fact. When it comes to giving, no one can outgive God. No matter how much you give, you cannot outgive God. When Jesus described how God generously rewards the, the giver, he gives us an image of a full and overflowing measure. You know what that made me think of? The Chinese takeaway buffet. Now, does Asian Pearl, have they started the buffet again yet? Does anyone know? They had to stop during COVID. Does anyone know if it's started again yet? Don't know. But it's quite an art form when you go to the takeaway Chinese buffet, uh, how much you can pack into that container, right? And, and of course, the real skill is being able to use the scoop in such a way that it gets up all of those nice bits of meat and leaves those pesky vegetables behind. Has anyone mastered that? Especially celery. When did celery ever become a food? I mean, I'd rather chew on a black oats stalk than a piece of celery, but for some reason, black oats is classed as a weed and celery is not. Why do they put that in our food? I don't understand why. But there's a method, isn't there, to pack as much as what you can into that takeaway Chinese container and then still be able to get the lid on it without all the sauce going everywhere. Right? You, you, you can picture this, can't you? And the most devastating thing is if that lid goes on too easily and you realise, oh man, I could have fitted another piece of sweet and sour pork in. Right? But I want you to think of, of a Chinese container that's been packed by Michael or one of his sons. They've, I've seen them both do it. They're pretty good at it too. Think of this. It's a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Right? And that's how God gives when we give. We cannot outgive God. Now, of course, an unspiritual person will think of this in terms of worldly stuff. And you will have heard the prosperity messages around it. Oh, we're taking up the offering now. Now, if you put your money in, God's going to reward you and give you more money back. You've all heard messages like that. 
What a load of rubbish. It's, it somehow turns a generous act into some kind of obscene get-rich-quick scheme. It's awful. If I give, God's going to give me more stuff. That's how an unspiritual person sees this. But a spiritual man or a spiritual woman well understands that what Jesus is talking about here is a heavenly reward. Right back in verse 23, he let us know that the reward that he's talking about is the reward that we have in heaven. But giving and receiving, it also cuts both ways. When Jesus said, for with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Well, yes, that goes for the good. When we are generous, God will be overflowingly generous to us. Yes, great will our reward be in heaven. But it also goes for the bad. When I'm quick to judge and when I'm quick to condemn and when I am stingy in giving, that same measure is going to be used right back to me. Right? So that's the commandments, which are all about being merciful as our Heavenly Father is merciful. Next comes a parable about discipleship. It's one thing to be commanded to do something. But for us as Christians, we don't merely follow commands. We follow a person. We are disciples, and that's what disciples do. Disciples follow their master. They follow their Lord. And so the first lesson about discipleship is be careful whom you follow. Because if we follow the wrong leader, that leads to destruction. Jesus said, can, can a blind man lead a blind man? Well, aren't they both going to fall into a dirty, great big hole? And that is so true that the scribes and the Pharisees, they had their own disciples, but that was a case of the blind leading the blind. In Matthew, Jesus described them as being blind guides and he calls them hypocrites. You see, see they, they believed that they were godly, but by what they did and what they taught, that it, was, it in no way represented the mercy of God. And they were so blind that when they met the Son of God, they had him crucified. And even today, there are some very popular church leaders, leaders who have many followers, and yet what they teach is not the word of God. And the reason that they are so popular and the reason why so many people follow their teaching is because it, it appeals to the flesh. It appeals to the sinful nature. So how can we know if we're following the right leader? Have you ever wondered that? How can we know if we're following the right leader? I'll tell you how. Do not ever become a follower of Michael. Be a follower of Jesus. And if you and I together follow the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of his apostles, we cannot go wrong. The second thing we learn about discipleship 
is disciples don't remain the same. They become like the one they follow. Jesus said a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And that is why I am so keen for you not to be following me. I am not your teacher. You don't want to become like me. Jesus is your teacher. Yes, the Lord has given me a gift of teaching, but what that means is God helps me to explain what Jesus and his apostles have ever already taught. Right? As soon as I start adding to that, or as soon as I start taking away from that, stop listening. Because a disciple is not above his teacher. I've heard some Bible teachers going, the Lord has given me revelation. All right, the Lord's given me a revelation and I'm going to tell you something. And, and they teach something which just isn't in the Bible. But it's okay because the Lord's given me the revelation. Do not listen to that. I think the Lord's given us enough in his word. As soon as I start adding to it, or as soon as I start taking away from it, stop listening, because a disciple is not above his teacher. And likewise, any teacher who does not bring to remembrance the whole teaching of Jesus and the whole teaching of his apostles is giving a deficient picture of what being a disciple of Jesus is about. As disciples of Jesus, as we follow Jesus, and as we walk with Jesus day by day, and very importantly, as we learn from Jesus, and as we apply what we've learned to our lives, we will become like him. Jesus talks about a disciple being fully trained to be like his teacher. And that's why here at Bush Disciples, our main, our main ministry is teaching. A disciple being fully trained to be like his teacher. That's what we do here. Um, who is our teacher? No, not Michael. Jesus. Jesus. So how are we going with that? Um, who here is now fully Christ-like? No hands have gone up. Oh, man, I failed. No, I'm glad nobody put their hands up because then we'll have to have the next sermon on um, pride or something like that. Um, none of us are fully Christ-like. Well, keep up the training. This is interesting, isn't it? I, I don't get, get away very often, but, but um, I have been to a, a few ministers' conferences or pastors' conferences. What do you think... What do you think ministers and pastors talk about when they're having a conference together? You know, cotton farmers will probably talk about micron air and turnout and bales per hectare. Wheat farmers will probably talk about protein percentages and tonnes per hectare. Uh, wool growers will talk about microns and kilos cut and, and cattle farmers will talk about growth rates and marbling and fat scores. What do pastors and ministers talk about? Conversions. Conversions. 
Oh, we had 165 decisions for Jesus last month, and 120 the month before that, and, and nearly, uh, nearly 200 conversions the, 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 the month before that. Wow, how many people you got in your church? Oh, about 80. Makes you wonder what's happened to all of the others. Um, but I, I always feel a miserable failure um, being a pastor from a small country church when I get together with a bunch of other ministers and they talk about their hundreds of conversions and I go, wow, that'd be half our town. Hmm. Um, but you know what? I've never yet been amongst a bunch of pastors who when they're having a talk and, and, and um, talk about the increasing Christ-likeness of their congregations. Have you seen that, Bill? No? Maybe we might start doing that. Because that is a sign of a congregation who are growing spiritually, becoming more like Christ. We are to notice our own deficiencies and follow Christ and be transformed to be more like our Lord. So we now move on to a second parable, and the picture that Jesus painting, is painting here is, it is comically absurd. It, it was priceless. I, I don't know if you guys could hear what, oh, what what's her name, the, the, your daughter, who was, sorry? Sarah. Sarah. Sarah, you've got wood in your eye. It, it was just priceless, priceless. Um, Jesus has a really sharp wit, and Jesus has some pretty funny stories. Oh, you've got a speck of chaff in your eye there. Ah, let me help you get that out. But, but you don't, you, you notice that speck of chaff in somebody else's eye, but you're completely oblivious to, the, to a dirty, great big log that's in your own eye. Now, this log, it, it's like a log which is big enough to be a main bearer of a building, right? It's absurd. But oh, how common it is. So often, those who are the most negative and those who are constantly pointing out every little fault in everybody else in the church, and yet they are completely unaware, totally blind to all of their own sins and all of their own faults and how they, out of everyone, are the most obnoxious, unpleasant people to deal with. Now, I know when I said that, you all instantly thought of someone, didn't you? Did you think of someone? That person that always sees the log in someone else, sorry, the speck in someone else's eye, and they've got no idea they've got a log in their own. You've thought of someone. I bet it wasn't you that you thought of. You see, the thing is, what Jesus is trying to get us to do is to inspect ourselves. You hypocrite! Jesus' words, not mine. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. See, in this sermon, Jesus is taking us on a journey to personal godliness, to personal Christ-likeness. Be merciful. And he gives us commands to teach us what mercy looks like. Be a disciple and, and choose well whom you're going to follow. Follow Jesus. And as we learn from Jesus, and, and we will become like Jesus. 
but we need to notice our own faults. Don't be a hypocrite. Notice the log that's in your own eye and get it out. It's a journey to personal holiness. There's one thing Jesus hates, it's hypocrites. People who who say one thing and do the other. It's the person who's quick to see the faults in others but blind to their own faults that are faults that are far worse. By the way, usually when I hear somebody quoting this parable, I'll get the get you know, get the get the log out of your own eye before you try to get the speck out. You know, usually the message just gets left at get the log out of your own eye. Or it gets left at don't judge others because you're not you're not fit to judge. That's usually where the message gets left. But did you notice that's not where Jesus left it? And the reason Jesus didn't leave it there is because he is now talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about how we relate to other Christians. Once you get that log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out that is in your brother's eye. Our first concern should be for our own holiness. Get yourself right with God. Search yourself. Repent of sin. Be forgiven. And then we are in a position to help our brothers and sisters with their sin. You with me? A judgmental fault finder will tell you what's wrong with you. A disciple of Jesus deals with their own personal sin and then they will help others to do the same. That's a tough thing to do. But that's what it's that's what it's about. Us being disciples of Jesus together. We share with one another, we build one another up, but we also help one another to deal with sin. That's where we're going to leave it today. Um, it's been hard for me dividing up this section because it's all one sermon and it's something which just naturally flows one bit into the next. Um, and I think we're probably going to finish it up next week. But let me leave you with this. Disciples of Jesus follow him. They learn from him. They become like him. And then disciples can help lead others to follow him too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, a simple prayer this morning. Forgive us for when we have not been merciful and help us to be merciful like our Heavenly Father is merciful. Lord, help us to follow you and to not only hear your teaching, but to apply it, that we may be trained in the ways of righteousness and by your Holy Spirit, we may become like Christ. Amen.